we all love to experience assurance, don't we? We like to be confident in our big financial decisions. Maybe we're purchasing a vehicle or a home or a video game. Then, you know, those big financial decisions. We like to have confidence that we're doing what is right. We like to be assured about our standing in particular relationships, those who are closest with us. We like to run up the score in a competitive game to be assured that we will remain victorious in this game. We are naturally desirous of assurance. God created us that way. God knows that about us. And we want to have assurance about our walk with God. God knows that we want to be assured, and he went to the great extent of not only sacrificing his one and only son to, to guarantee our redemption, but he also went to the extent of leaving his Holy Spirit to provide the assurance that he is with us, that we are right with God. Let's jump back into the book of Romans. Please find the beloved chapter, chapter 8, in your copy. It's page 795 in the pew copy of the scriptures. Aren't you glad that the gospel is undeserved? We don't have to do something to obtain the good news. God has shown his love to us. He has graced us through his son, Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is undeserved. Aren't you glad that the gospel is unmatched? The gospel is good news about Jesus Christ. There is no greater news in all of the world than the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. It is unmatched in its very character. And aren't you glad that the gospel of Jesus Christ is unstoppable? Jesus himself said that he's going to build his church that nothing, nothing can prevail against it. The gospel is going to go forward. We see this played out through the book of Acts and throughout the rest of the New Testament. It's still going forward today. The gospel is moving forward to advance the kingdom of God. It cannot be stopped. And that's what the theme of Romans is. It's the undeserved, it's the unmatched, and the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. We're in the third section of the third division of Romans where we're talking about the assurance of the gospel. Chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 uh, explain that, that, that the gospel assures Christians of their standing before God. Last week we, we began our trek through Romans chapter 8. It's it's chock full of, of truths that will feed a weary Christian's heart and soul. So if you are weary, if you are wondering, if you are unassured, if you need to be reminded, Romans 8 is for you, Christian. Romans 8 is a wonderful chapter to commit to memory so that you can just rehearse and, and, and recite these truths over to yourself over and over and over again as you journey this life here on earth. Last week we looked at Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4 and we saw that the spirit of life assures us with the reality that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. No condemnation last week for us who are in Christ. No condemnation this week. No condemnation next month. No condemnation for all of eternity because we are in Christ. The spirit assures us of that. The spirit assures us with a complete liberation, that we have been set free, we have been made free from the law of sin and death. The Spirit assures us 
by reminding us of the successful incarnation. Jesus came, he fulfilled the law in our place, he was successful in meeting the demands of the law. The Spirit assures us that of a legal justification, that there was an exchange that took place, and therefore we have the righteousness of Jesus, and Jesus took our sin upon himself. And last week we also noted the Spirit assures us by an ongoing sanctification that he continues to do a good work in us. Christian, you don't have to, to journey through this life wondering whether or not you are God's child. There is a full assurance for you found in the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. Unbeliever, you don't have that assurance yet. So if you've come this morning and you're not sure, uh, you've, never, you've never been born again, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you don't have assurance. And you won't until you trust that Jesus, what Jesus did in your behalf and you turn from your sin. We mentioned last Sunday that the Holy Spirit is, is named or referred to here in chapter 8 21 times. It's not primarily a, a chapter about the Holy Spirit, but it certainly provides, provides us with extremely helpful insights into how God the Holy Spirit works in the lives of those who are God's children. We'll get to, chapter, to verse 14 later on in our study that those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Verse 15, the, the Spirit removes fear of rejection. Verses 26 and 27, the Spirit gives us confidence to approach God in prayer. The chapter teaches us to be preoccupied with our standing in Christ. Now, would you please follow along as I read from Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirits. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirits. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirits the things of the spirits. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirits, if so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his, or he does not belong to Christ. Verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies or make you alive by his Spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Our focus this morning is on verses 5 through 9, which contrast the life of the flesh with the life of the Spirit. Specifically, this, this passage explains that what you think about really does make a difference. It really does matter because it reveals your status of being of the flesh or 
of the spirits. And the difference between being of the flesh or of the spirits is literally eternal life and eternal death. So from these verses this morning, let's note the reality and the results and, the re- and a reminder of our, of our life in the Spirit of God. So first, we, we consider the realities of the Spirit of life. The reality is seen from a, from a couple of different angles, if I can say it that way. First, our thinking, our thinking reveals which category we are in. So Paul identifies two different groups. Look at verse number 5 again. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh... Secondly, but they that are after the spirits, the things of the spirits. There are two categories. There are only two categories. Each of us are either of the flesh or we are of the spirits. Paul is is talking about categories of being a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ, or being an unbeliever, somebody who has not been born again. Being of the flesh being carnally minded, is not talking about a Christian who slips back into sin and falls into a, a, a besetting sin. This is not talking, the carnally minded one, that's one of the flesh here that we're reading of, this is not talking about the people that we, that we read about in chapter 7 who are desperately crying out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? No, Paul is here talking about people who are in the flesh, that is, people who are not followers of Christ. He contrasts those people with those who are of the Spirit. You simply cannot be of the flesh and of the Spirit simultaneously, Paul says. I think the King James is very helpful here to us in verse 5 by using that word are. These people are, uh, they that are after the flesh, or are of the Spirit's. It communicates with us a current situation, a current status for these people. Does that make sense? People are either people either are believers or people are unbelievers. It's the current situation, it's the current category that someone has to be in. Modern translations include the word live. Those who live according to the flesh or those who live according to the spirit. Both are good options. It communicates a current status and a current life of the people in each of those two categories. So Paul is talking about positional, not behavioral status. We are either of the flesh positionally or of the spirit positionally. Then he says that every human is thinking. They that are of the flesh and do mind the things or think on the things of the flesh and they don't have the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So friends, you are, right now, either living according to the flesh, or you are, right now, today, living according to the Spirit. It's not a matter of what your mom or your dad did. It's not a matter of, 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 of anything like that, of Christian heritage. It's not a matter of where you go to church. It's an individual reality Your status is not someone else's status. Your status is your status. You're either of the flesh or you're of the Spirit. But there's another way to think about the realities here, and that's kind of directionally. The further reality is that there is evidence as to whether you are of the flesh or of the Spirit. Paul explains that the evidence is primarily found in the direction of our thoughts. Verse 5 says... 
For they that are of the flesh do mind or think on the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirits think on things of the spirits. What are you thinking? What were you thinking? I can still remember my third grade music teacher, music class that I was in. We were holding up books in front of us. We were in an auditorium. I was sitting on the front row, and I was holding up this book, and I must have had my mouth hanging wide open but not singing anything because I can still remember we were singing I've Been Working on the Railroad, and my teacher comes up to me. She doesn't shake me, but Mrs. Brocky comes up, and she just shakes the book really hard, and it's almost like she's saying, Hello, John, come back from La La Land. What are you thinking? If you have a spouse, you've asked that question before, haven't you? You spent how much on that golf club? What were you thinking? If you have a teenager, you definitely have asked that question. You played what kind of joke? You did what with the family car? You ate what for breakfast? What were you thinking? And if you have parents, you've asked that question. Dad, you're wearing that shirt? What in the name of all that is fashionable are you thinking that may or may not have happened recently to somebody. Paul pointedly asks the same question to the church at Rome and to us today. What are you thinking? Friend, what are you thinking? Paul's point was not to convince them to one side. He's not in exhortation mode. He'll, he'll do that in Romans chapter 12. When he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Rather, he's informing everyone here that our thoughts reveal which category we are in. Of the flesh or of the spirits. For to be carnally minded, to be, of the, to be minded of the flesh is death. But to be spiritually minded, to think on, is life and peace. We're all thinking something. Verse 5, he says that whoever is in the flesh sets their mind on the things of the flesh. And whoever is of, is of the Spirit sets their mind on the things of the Spirit. It's talking about the direction of our thoughts. It's talking about our affections of our hearts. As Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's talking about the desires of your heart or your will. Somebody said it this way, it includes all the faculties of the soul. Reason, understanding, and affections. It's talking about the attitudes that characterize those who belong, who belong to the flesh and the attitudes that characterize those who belong of the spirits, who walk in the spirits. If you're of the flesh, you will set your mind in one direction. If you're of the spirits, you will set your mind in another direction. So the question that you need to ask yourself this morning is this. Which direction is your mind set? What are your thoughts? What does your mind go towards automatically? To what do you move toward mentally? What is the priority of your thought life? What captures your affections? Now understand, this is not a call for you not to have possessions or not to have wealth. But if your mind is obsessed with, with and, and driven by how to get more, 
you should really sit up and pay attention to Paul's warning here. Likewise, this is not a call to, to no fun life on earth. But if entertainment and having fun is the, is the be-all, end-all of your life, you better pause and give consideration to what rules your mind because what rules your mind testifies to whether or not you are of the flesh or the spirit. This isn't a call to never engage in, in politics or in, in media, but if you are preoccupied with your political party or fixated on the extremes of media, you better open your eyes to the eternal matters of life. Your desires, what you think on, testify to the category you're in, of the flesh or of the spirit. Your thoughts are the evidence of the reality of your current situation, being of the flesh or being of the spirits. Friend, if you are fixated on sinful, sexual pleasures, and that's the, that's the, the affection of your heart, that's your fixation. If you're fixated on, on getting revenge, if you're, you're built on building your bank account, or sinful thoughts of whatever else, whatever other kind of nature it could be about, be about you give evidence of being of the flesh. If you are questioning whether or not you are God's child, one of the places to start is by asking yourself, what is my mindset? What is the focus of my life? What do I find myself preoccupied with? What kind of goals and ambitions captivates my thoughts? Somebody said it this way, salvation transfers someone from a realm that is characterized by the flesh to a realm that is dominated by the Holy Spirit. So, what you think about really does matter because it reveals your status of being of the flesh or being of the spirits. And the difference between those two is literally eternal life and eternal death. That is the reality of the spirit of life. But let's go on to see how Paul marks out and unfolds for us the results of those two options. Verse 6 says, For to be carnally minded, or to be, to, be of the, to be minded of the flesh, to be thinking on those things, results in death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, the mind of the flesh, is, is, is an enemy against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, Neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul tells us that whatever we're thinking about controls our life. And if we have that preoccupation with things of the flesh, it's going to be a result, uh, have, have a result one way. And if we have a, a preoccupation with the things of the Spirit, it's going to result in, in something different because it reveals what's going on in our hearts. Those who are in the Spirit, whose thoughts reveal they are the Spirit, for them... The, the result is life and peace. The Spirit of God assures believers that eternal life and peace is, is guaranteed to them. That's the, the work of the Spirit. That's the assuring work of the Spirit within us that God has placed there for us, has left for us. The result of being of the Spirit is that life never ends. But the result of that other category is death. Paul says that to be carnally minded is death. Again, remember, he's not talking about Christians who have kind of slipped. He's not talking about carnal Christians. He's talking about an unbeliever who gives their thoughts to fulfilling 
the desires of the flesh. That mind is hostile towards God. It's an enemy of God. We can see sin in a life and attempt to remove that sin from our life, but the root of sin remains in the mind. We remain hostile or an enemy to God. And that hostility makes, it, makes us incapable of pleasing God. The flesh pre, pre, prevents people from obeying God's law, Paul tells us. There's a spiritual blindness that's involved. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way to death. Why does it lead to death? Our world doesn't believe that God hates carnally-minded people, but he does. God sends people to hell if they are of the flesh. Living in the flesh is not living in a state of neutrality, kind of in between, and we might be okay sometimes, we, we might not be okay sometimes. Living in the flesh is living in opposition to God, being an enemy of God. An anti-God mindset deceives the soul of man and leads to a Christless eternity. Do you want to be God's enemy? Believers are not under the law. We know that from, from our study in Romans chapter 6, right? For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. What shall we say then because we're not under the law? Shall we sin then because we're not under the law? No, God forbid. But unbelievers are still under the law. And verse 8 tells us that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. In other words, there's a total inability for someone who is in this category to please God. It does not mean that all people are as evil as they possibly can be or that they commit every sin that's, that's ever been known to man. It does not mean that they cannot perform a good work. Unbelievers, people who are of the flesh, can perform good works. You can go through a drive through and, and, and get, get, uh, pull up to the, to the window to pay for your food and the person in front of you paid for you, a random act of kindness. That person may or may not be a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. Unbelievers, people who are of the flesh, can do good things. We understand that, right? But every unbeliever is firmly held in the grip of sin. And that power extends to the whole person. Everyone is born with, with a natural bent to seek their own good versus the good of, of, of God or the good of others. So left to ourselves, we all pursue loving ourself. R.C. Sproul said it this way, what a fallen man can do on the hor horizontal plane in his behavior toward other people, he cannot do on the vertical plane in his behavior toward God. In other words, unbelievers cannot do good that can be credited to their eternal accounts. We can do good things as we come into this world as unbelievers. We can, we can be kind to somebody else. We can do a random act of kindness. But we can do nothing in order to gain favor with God, in order to reconcile ourselves back to God. Friend, these verses are, are assuring to us. More on that in a bit. But they also offer to us a sober warning. These verses call all of us to look deeply into our own souls and ask, am I living for the flesh or am I living in the spirits? Am I living in hostility to God or am I living according to the spirits in concert with God? If you are living of the flesh, you are not God's child. You are not 
on a path toward eternal life. You are on a path towards eternal death. But there is another option. You can live of the Spirit. You can, you, you can be of God. You can't do that through hard work. You can't do that through your discipline. You can't do that through your Christian heritage. You can only do that through God's grace as he opens your eyes and reveals to you that you are a sinner, that you are of the flesh, that you cannot please God on your own, and that he sent one to do that for you, his son, Jesus. So there is an invitation for you from God to call on Jesus to be your Savior and to rest and to be assured that you are of the Spirit. You, are, you can do that even right now in your pew. If you have questions about what that means to be, a, to be born again, talk with us after the service so we can show you from God's Word what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The reality of the Spirit of life is that everyone is either of the, of the flesh or of the Spirit. And our mindset, what we think on, is the great revealer the result of the spirit of life, uh, of those who are in the spirit, is life. And the result of those who are of the flesh is death. And that brings us to a beautiful transition that the Apostle Paul makes in verse number 9, where he gives us the re a reminder of the spirit of life. He says, but you, remember Paul's writing to, to Jewish and Gentile Christians who are, who are gathering in Rome as a church to worship God. So he's writing to a church, he says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirits. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his, or he does not belong to Christ. And here at the beginning of verse 9, we, we see that wonderful conjunction, but it's where everything kind of turns, right? We know that from other passages, passages in the New Testament, like Ephesians chapter 2, where we read, But God! who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. And so this is one of those moments where the Apostle Paul says, Hey, just a second. Don't forget. So verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, he's reviewing what it means to be of the flesh or of the spirit. And then he gets to verse number 9 and he says, Remember, don't forget, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Christian, you are of the spirits. Being of the flesh is not possible for a Christian. Being of the flesh is not being in the struggle. So we, we talked about that at the end of chapter 7, about struggling with, with sin and saying, God, oh, Lord, help me, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? There's, that's not what, what, what being of the flesh is. Being of the flesh is, is being outside of Christ. So these two groups of, of, of being a Christian or, being, or not being a Christian, the Holy Spirit is, is, is God. We have to remember that. And being a Christian means that you have God, that you belong to God. So Christian, don't forget your status. It's absolutely impossible for a person who is of the flesh to have eternal life it's also absolutely impossible for, for a person who is of the Spirit to have eternal death. If you are of the flesh, the result is death. If you are of the Spirit, the result is life. We know that. But even so, even though we are not facing death because we are of the Spirit, there is a serious reminder here for us, for those of us who are of the Spirit. We read from Galatians 5 earlier this morning. Colossians 3 says it this way. 
If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in, in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Christian, don't forget your status. You are of the Spirit. The end of verse 9 says, if, 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 Now if any man has, does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But Christian, you do have the Spirit of Christ. You belong to Christ. So while there is this idea that there are, there are these two categories, and it's talking about eternal death and eternal life, there is this, also this idea that right now, currently, and not only right now, but eternally, and for today, and for tomorrow, and for all of eternity, you are different because you are in Christ. Why? Because the Spirit dwells within you. If you are in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Your marriage should be characterized by peace and long-suffering in your attitude. Our church should exude love and joy because the Spirit of Christ dwells in us. Your parenting efforts should be gentle and should be kind because you have the Spirit of Christ that dwells in you. As you make decisions, you do so with, within the confines of the fruit of the Spirit, as we read in Galatians chapter 5. The priorities of your life should reflect the priorities that God reveals to us in His Word. How you invest your time and your money and your energy should indicate that the Spirit of God dwells in you. So don't forget the privilege you have of being in Christ. Don't forget that you have been loved by God in this special way. Be completely, be, be obsessed with it. Let it dominate your perspective on life and your actions and the way that you think. Even as we prayed this morning in that song, speak, O Lord. Let it dominate your thought life. You are in the Spirit, because, not because you obeyed God enough, you are in the Spirit not because of, of who your parents are, who your grandparents are. You are not in the Spirit because of the church that you attend or where you're a member of this or that church. You are in the Spirit by God's grace. God sent His Son to you to die for you, to redeem you, and left His Spirit to indwell you when you place your faith in Jesus. If we belong to Christ, we have been born of the Spirit we have been set free to live not according to the flesh, but to live of the spirits. So how are you forgetting this reminder? How are you forgetting the things of the spirits? How are you forgetting the life and peace of dwelling on the things of the spirits? I would encourage you to take a few minutes this afternoon or later this week and ask God to reveal to you ways in which you are forgetting that he resides within you that you've been born of the Spirit. You need the reminder on this Lord's Day. I need the reminder on this Lord's Day that because the Spirit is in me, I belong to Christ. So what you think about really does matter because it reveals the status of which category you're in, your other, other flesh or the Spirit. And the difference between those is literally the difference 
difference between eternal death and eternal life. Assurance does not come as a result of how diligent you are to pursue the spirits, although you should be diligent. Rather, assurance comes from the reality that you are of the spirits. Remember your status. You've been changed. You've been transformed. You don't have to set your mind on the things of the flesh. You are no longer in bondage. You have been set free from all of that. Christian, you are not of the flesh, but of the spirits, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Let's pray.